Well, I'll be honest, uh, this has been a pretty hard passage to unpack. I can tell why Graham was so keen to palm it off to me. Uh, our passage today is about things that look good on the outside, but aren't so good on the inside. And this is shown uh, in four different hearts that we're going to explore today. Saul's heart, Israel's heart, our own hearts, and Jesus' heart. Often things look good on the outside, but less than good on the inside. Scam emails. I wonder if you've had the email like, Sir Beasley, we have one million diamonds to send to you from Prince Abubu of South North Eastern Egypt, Africa. What about those cars which look fantastic on the outside, but the engine is shot? Or Amy and I love fixer-upper shows, and uh, there's nothing like when it looks nice on the outside and they start peeling back the layers and the foundation's cracked or there's termites or water damage. We see in this passage Saul's heart with Israel's heart, and it challenges our hearts. And I hope to show that our only hope is in Jesus' heart. As we dig in today, we can't forget chapter 8, but we'll also pick up uh, pieces from chapter 10 and the following pages of Samuel 2. As our passage begins, we need to keep our minds on what's come before, because otherwise the first 15 verses of chapter 9 are pretty confusing. We finished with Israel's rejection of God in chapter 8, where they put on show for all to see their sinful and selfish hearts. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations, they say. And God says, all right, you get the king you want, but it's not the king they need. But that's what we're exploring today. So now we have chapter 9. Why is this here? Is it some kind of comedic relief because of how hard and difficult chapter 8 was? We've got this man of standing in verse 1. And he's lost some donkeys and his strapping young son and his servant go on a wild donkey chase. Behold, this is the man God has chosen to be their king. And we see all these coincidences that just keep happening. It's almost like someone has planned these coincidences. But before we get on to those, we can't forget about uh, verse 2. I'll read it with me if you've got it there. Now Kish, he had a son named Saul, an impressive or handsome young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some good-looking blokes here today, but I wonder, can you imagine being the most handsome man in all the land? He's tall, he's good to look at, without equal in all of Israel. He's like one of the Hemsworths. <laughs> this is the perfect guy that Israel wants. He's from a family of standing, he looks good, he's tall, he's strong. But his heart is wrong. And we see this unfold in the chapter. He is the king they want, but not the king they need. You'd expect verse 3 to be a bit more like chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, 
saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over this over his inheritance? But instead, we get verse three. Now the donkey's blowing to Saul's father Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. Wild donkey chase. It's a bit strange for this chosen man to be doing. And if you don't know that Saul is going to be Israel's first king, you'd be confused. And to be honest, when I read this passage a few weeks ago, I was quite confused too. What a strange story. Go get the donkeys. Well, people often applaud Saul and his amazing heart and his humility, and they often mention his obedience to his father. And in today's society, in our post-postmodern world, it's often impossible to think that children would actually listen to their parents. But in the ancient Near East, that's just what you did. You listened to your father. That was part and parcel of life. There is at least an ounce of hope with Saul, though, because at least he's not like Eli and Samuel's sons. At least he obeys his father. How about Saul's heart? I don't think Saul has a good heart at all. It works itself out in the rest of the chapter, and as I've said already, in the following pages of Samuel. We see his lack of character in their interactions with his servant. He gives up. He says in verse 5, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and stop worrying and start worrying about us. But the servant is the one pushing them on. Look, in this town there is a man of God. Why does the servant know that and not Saul? He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. But Saul again, verse 7, with his excuses. If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take the man of God. What do we have? But again, the servant has the answer. I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man and he'll tell us what way to go. We see again, after the servant has provided all the answers, good, come, let's go. Hardly sounds like a man who's keen, does it? And in verse 21, his excuse again, almost like Moses, as he says, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? I think he's a bit like the prophet Jonah. If you just took chapters 2 and 3 of Jonah, you'd think he was actually a pretty good guy. He seems to do what God wants and he, and he preaches God's word. But we see in chapter 1 of Jonah and chapter 4 of Jonah, he runs away to the other side of the world. And in chapter 4, he's angry that God would forgive his enemies. So with Saul, if you look at his appearance, if you just look at verse 2, it seems like he's the perfect guy. But as you look closer and examine the rest of the book, it's clear. I mean, he doesn't even know who Samuel is. Look at verse 14. Now, the day before Samuel... Uh, sorry... Verse 14, they went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel, 
coming towards them on his way up to the high place. And then verse 18, Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? He doesn't even know who Samuel is. And yet we see from chapter 3 of Samuel that the whole of Israel should know who Samuel is. God's prophet, tested by God, but not Saul. His, his heart isn't good. And this is a big signpost. Danger. The problem with his heart is that he's not interested in the things of God. Saul is like that friend we all have. The one that's thin and lovely, and yet all they eat is junk food, whether it's Maccas or chocolate or chips. But I am sure that their literal hearts are no good, and their veins are most likely filling with fat. They look good on the outside, but they are not good on the inside. We see it clearly as God chooses David later in the book of Samuel. God looks at the heart and not the outward appearance. A clear dig at Saul and his hard heart, his heart that isn't one for God. Yet, this is the king God gives Israel because he wants to demonstrate in them how their hearts are seeking the wrong things in life. Friends, sometimes God allows painful things to happen because ultimately they are part of his greater plan. Saul is sent on a mission for donkeys. But don't worry, Samuel says that they get found. He winds up being anointed as Israel's first king. He is reluctant. He is oblivious to godly things. In chapter 10, we see that he lies and he hides. And by chapter 13, he disobeys God. He was a disappointing king. Saul fails to be God's ideal king, and this anticipates the perfect, true king of Jesus. It's all part of God's big plan, and somehow it still includes donkeys. He was the king the people wanted. He made them feel good. He was pretty and strong, maybe a good farmer, maybe a top bloke, but he's not king material. He's not just disappointing. He disobeys. The king was meant to lead the people, to bring them to God, to be excited for God and his ways. But Saul is just, meh. He couldn't care less about the things of God. But Jesus would be the king the people need. One who wouldn't just defeat earthly kings, but would defeat evil and death. Obedient, faithful, and a heart for God. King material. Even though God's people had self-centered, sinful hearts, sinful intentions, God worked this for his and his people's good. So what about Israel's hearts? Well, last week's look at chapter 8 showed us Israel's hearts. But in chapter 9, their dream is realized. This is the king thereafter. Israel's request may even look good on the outside. 
but their motivation is not. Their request for a king looks like a good thing. Like it's a good choice nationally to be like all the other nations. Someone who would build, someone who would be strong, build their nation and do king things. But Israel already had a king in Yahweh, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the great I Am. In the book of Judges, we see Israel's hearts going astray every single generation. A good judge passes away. And I mean, the Lord saves his people from Egypt. He sends plagues. He leads them by fire and cloud. He shows his glory and power over Pharaoh and the whole nation of Egypt. And yet within days... They are crying to go home to Egypt and they make golden calves to worship. Their longing for a king shows their hearts and their hearts are not for God. In this request, they reject God as their king, clearly and directly. Yet God, in his infinite wisdom, gives them exactly what they want. A king who looks good, but whose heart is not. Israel means this decision for themselves to satisfy their sinful hearts. Their goal is to not be God's nation, to to forfeit him as king and have for themselves a human king. To be like all the other nations. But God uses their sinful hearts to show his own glory even though it might take a thousand years. God uses this to anticipate and foreshadow the true king of Jesus. Not the king they want, the one they despise and reject. Verse 16 and 17 make it seem like this king was going to be a good king. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people... For their cry has reached me. This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. He looks good. He's going to do what the people want. He will defeat the enemy and govern. Some of you might have a different version in front of you that actually replaces the word govern with restrain. And that's probably actually a better word here. The king the people want will restrain God's people. He will do all that chapter 8 lays out. We see it in God's people today. The kings of megachurches flying around in their planes, spreading news that makes people feel good, rather than teaching what is truly life-giving and life-changing. They give false hope and sell a false gospel for coin. They're like a tub of custard I once ate. It looked good on the outside. It might even taste all right for a little bit, but then it turns out it's two months old. (laughs) But God's people haven't even changed by the time Jesus comes. They still want a king like Saul, someone who looks good, a military and political leader who will save them who will defeat their earthly enemies, a tall, strong, and handsome man. 
but these leaders disappoint. God's perfect promised king is far greater than what they want. Jesus has nothing that you'd desire him. He defeats not earthly kings, but the true and great enemy in sin and the result of death. But we have to wait a thousand years for a king that does not disappoint. Israel's hearts should challenge our motivations. Even if our actions seem good, what motivates you? Is it earthly things or the things of God? That brings us on to our hearts. What about our hearts? Are we perfect? Do we constantly and unswervingly hold to the things of God? I think we so often read these Old Testament stories and get a bit of a holier-than-thou feeling. But we're just like them, aren't we? We, as his people, still turn aside in our day-to-day and reject God. We watch TV excessively. We chase money. We chase power. We chase looking good. The good life. We let these things in our lives be king of our lives and let them rule over us. They look good on the outside, especially to our sinful hearts, but they are not. And our hearts long after so many things, don't they? Enough is never enough when we chase the things of this world. So many things in this world are deceptive. They're kind of like the apple from Snow White. It looks perfect on the outside and every cartoon makes it look like the best apple you could ever see. But when she takes that bite and uncovers what's below that beautiful exterior, it shows what is truly there. The apple is rotten to the core. With our Christian life, it's not just the obvious things that trap us, though, is it? We can be doing the right things, but our hearts are bad and our motivations are wrong. We can come to church on Sundays just as kind of penance. We don't swear too much because Jesus doesn't like that, but our hearts go unchanged. If we are unintentional in our lives, our sinful hearts will take us so many places. But thankfully, as we've seen today, God can redeem our less than perfect decisions. He offers us grace upon grace to return to him. And he gives us his spirit to follow him. I wonder, how is this convicting you today? What parts Of your hearts and lives, are you not letting God be king of? Knowingly or unknowingly? Maybe it's that morally ambiguous tax return. Is it your meh attitude towards the things of God? Or is it a blind spot in your personality that God needs to change? We see in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, that our hearts should be new of flesh and transformed. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This passage shows us it must be a whole of life thing. Not just half our hearts or half our lives, 
but 100% different. So how about Jesus' heart? How can his example challenge us? Jesus, at the age of 12, is found in the temple asking questions and teaching the people. We see the difference between Saul and Jesus. Saul gets anointed in chapter 10, but then we see later in chapter 10 and chapter 13 of how he runs from God and disobeys, how he stumbles and he fails. Jesus, as he's anointed with the Spirit at the beginning of his ministry, immediately goes into the desert to defeat death, to defeat evil, and continues a faithful ministry, bringing God's kingdom to bear in the world. Saul is anointed and disobeys, but Jesus is anointed and is obedient, even to death on a cross. Jesus is not the king we want, because otherwise he'd just say, be comfortable, be happy. He'd be the king of motivational memes and phrases. Live for yourself, maybe that Disney uh, ideal of dream big enough and you'll succeed. Just come on Sundays, just try and be a good person. But these are what the influences and kings of our world say this is how the world claims to be right with god and be right in eternal life or whatever comes next but jesus is the king we need he calls us to be uncomfortable to find joy in god to have not happiness in worldly things Jesus says, live for me, be persecuted and suffer for me. Do life with me daily and have me as king of your life. Jesus is not like Saul and he's not like any of the kings that Israel or we are normally used to. He doesn't look good on the outside, but he sure is good on the inside. He's the real deal. He's despised, rejected, beaten, mocked, scorned, all for claiming who he was, the true king, a king with a good heart. And our goal is to look like Jesus. Maybe that means not looking so flash by the world's standards. It's kind of like tiny homes. They don't look that attractive on the outside, But once you go in, they're actually pretty impressive. I don't know if you've seen uh, rat rod cars. They're old hot rods that people have done up to make look old and rusted and good for nothing. But the engines are amazing and the interiors of the car are world class. Jesus is the answer to all of our heart's desires. Even if he's not the king we want... He's the king we need. Chapter 9 of 1 Samuel might leave you feeling disheartened. But take heart. Because even though we see Saul's failure, we should be blown away by Jesus, being all that we could hope for and so much more. Jesus is a king who does not disappoint ever. 
He will never let you down. He is a wonderful king. One who gave his life for you and me to be part of his kingdom. I wonder, would you rather look good on the outside but have a not so good heart? Or maybe not look as flash on the outside but have a heart for God and the things of God? I have three practical ways we can have and encourage a heart for God. Have God as king, rely on God as king through prayer, and get to know Jesus, the good king, through his word. Have God as king in life. One example of having God as king is how we use our time. To bring this home very literally. For most of us, every single night, we've got about three hours with our families, whether we are parents or children. I was going for a walk the other night, and uh, I wasn't trying to be creepy, but when lights are on inside houses, it's very hard to not just see what's going on. (laughs) And it's very clear when you go for a walk at night that there's one thing on in every single house, and that's a TV. And the whole family is sitting around in front of the TV. I wonder, is that a godly use of our time? Are we building a kingdom for ourselves? Or are we building his his kingdom? What does that say about our lives? I wonder even this afternoon, will, will you spend your afternoon and evening today in front of screens? Or maybe... Just maybe, will you spend it doing something else? Will you redeem that time? Maybe you can dig into God's word as a family. Or go on an adventure and make friendships and relationships with your family. Deepen those relationships. Invite some non-Christians over for dinner. Or even cook dinner as a family. Maybe speak kindly to your parents. Or as parents, not nag our children. Number two, rely on God as king through prayer. It's pretty self-explanatory. I wonder when trials and tribulations come your way, what do you do? Do you stress? Do you flip out? Do you post your woes to social media? Do you whinge to your friends? Do you text every single friend you have and tell them about how your life is going down the drain? Or do you just stop and pray? Number three, get to know Jesus, the good king, through his word, the ultimate answer to our sinful hearts. Sometimes it seems like this is the, uh, the application to every single sermon, to pick up your Bible. But be honest. God's word is the answer to our sinful hearts. It helps us to have God as king of our lives, to rely on him in prayer, And God's word is just that. It's his word to us. And in here, he honestly and earnestly wants to communicate with you. He wants to speak to you. Just like he communicated with Samuel, with Moses, with Abraham, with Jesus, and so many others. This is our window to God's heart for all that he wants for us. 
He, his big, awesome plan of redemption. This book is life. I wonder which heart will be your aim this week. How will life maybe look different this week? And maybe the rest of your life too. God wants our hearts, not just our performance. I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please have mercy on us. We are so often reluctant, selfish, sinful people. Please forgive us. Please change our hearts. Help us in everyday moments and decisions to choose you and honour you. Help us to see your glorious plan unfolding in front of us and take the opportunities you give us. Help us to grow in our knowledge, our love, and our service of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jono. Thank you. Friends, lots to think about, isn't there? And um, I wonder how your heart is this morning. As we've been reminded of Jesus' heart who, uh, and Jesus as king, who's the king over all, the king who died for us and the king who, uh, who saves us, came to serve, not to be served. We're going to pray to that king now and um, ask God of things and thank God for things as well. But first though, what we're going to do...